The What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O Group and host of the What to Know podcast. I have the luxury today of uh, interviewing a guy I consider a friend now. We've uh, hung out a few times, John Battelle. Um, we're in the Medium offices on Market Street in San Francisco, which is in itself pretty cool. Um, it's hard to introduce John because, like many of our guests, there are so many things that he's done. Uh, I'll start with his current title, and probably one of several different titles, which is he's the executive chairman, co-founder, and CEO of Nuco Festivals. Uh, I had the luxury of attending his Shift Summit recently, which was amazing. We'll talk more about that. But, I mean, John, you've done some crazy stuff like co-founder of Federated Media, Web 2.0 Summit with uh, O'Reilly, the Industry Standard, Wired Magazine. Uh, you're an investor. Um, how do you find time to, first of all, welcome. <laughs> it's good to be here. Thank you for uh, having me. How Aaron. do you find time to do all this stuff? You have a family too. I know. Well, and, and bike and, and, you know, do stuff outdoors. Well, I guess you get better at doing things as you get older and God knows I feel like I got older. Um, and, and over 30 years you can get a lot of stuff done. Um, uh, but now it's about focusing on the things that, um, feel the best. Right. And, and so I've rec- recently been going back to doing more writing. Um, and editing, which has really been a joy, um, and producing um, content on stage, uh, which is something that I stepped away from for a few years when I started up Nuco uh, to focus on the business model and the expansion around the world of all the festivals, but uh, refocused on media, which is kind of the thing that makes me happiest. And you do a gorgeous job at it, and I will tell you, and not to blow smoke, but I've had a chance to meet a lot of smart people like you have, and we'll talk more about that too. You're easily one of the best interviewers in the world and you do it so naturally and we will talk a little bit about the shift forum and and some of the great content you had there you're also a great writer and i think so you're writing i know on the new co blog yeah you also maintain it looks like still your search blog which has been around forever right and are you writing for medium as well like or writing on yeah i am it's you know when i write a piece now and this used to be verboten but it's not anymore i'll put it on my site i'll put it on medium uh, and our publication, uh, Nuco Shift, is also on Medium. So it kind of lives in various places. Uh, and there's different audiences in each of those places. Uh, it's rare now that I'll write just for one place because we've, you know, the, the media world has sh- shifted dramatically. Uh, and the distribution is now sort of multi-channel as opposed to one single point. Yeah, we've, we've noticed that with some of our content as well. Uh, one of the things I do want to talk a little bit about is I, I had the luxury of interviewing you a couple of years ago. You were a, speaking, a speaker at our, um, our pre-commerce event in Austin. Um, little funny anecdote. I remember, I think it was the first time I really met you and you had a very tight schedule. You were kind enough to agree to do this. I remember. I picked you up at your hotel, which was downtown. Yeah. Our offices on the east side, our Austin offices. And I remember like traffic was horrible. And I'm sitting there chewing my nails and you're sitting there riding along with me in my Lexus. But anyway, <laughs> you were a great host uh, or guest that day. Um, I rewatched the interview and it reminded me because we normally see John, the interviewer. Right. Um, just what a great like futurist and innovative thank you, thank you are. And we talked a little bit about while we were doing this, this talk about dressing ourselves in data and the uh, control yeah. of that and classification of the world. Right. Um, what are the next five to 10 years look like? And let's go beyond just the standard, like a uh, machine learning. AI, right. Right. Know? All that stuff to me, um, is important, but a bit dull. 
Um, we used to call that DBI in journalism, dull but important. Um, <clears throat> I had all the DBI beats when I was a, a reporter back in the day. Um, and those turned out to be in incredibly important. Databases, networking, CPUs, <laughs> really important. Yeah, it's not to diminish them. It's just everybody just talks every, about them. You talk about things at a higher level, which is so, really what I want to get I into. mean, those two themes, I think, are finally coming to fruition. Um, the, the idea of dressing yourself in data, I think we are really at the base of a J-curve in our society figuring out how to uh, uh, rethink our relationship to information. Um, we're... Uh, it is my deepest hope that we are getting tired of having our information fed to us um, by platforms who control our information but um, do not allow us appropriate controls. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm looking at you, Facebook, um, in particular, uh, because I think uh, there was a, a presumption in the Valley for decades, literally, that the last thing you want to do is give a user a choice if you can just make it seem like magic and the right thing appears before them, the right search result, the right item in your news feed, the right you know, um, you know, pin to look at on Pinterest. Give them the choice uh, and they might say no and leave your service. So don't do that, right? Um, I think actually we're starting to get more sophisticated and, 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 and demand that we are given instrumentation to our digital life um, and not instrumentation that's buried behind six levels of you know of user preferences deep in the guts of a service like Facebook but rather instrumentation that is effortless and magical um, and uh, I'm on the board of a company that is deep in the data world called Axiom which is sort of you know for decades sort of seen as the Darth Vader of data services because it had information on every individual in the Western world uh, with a particular emphasis on the United States. Um, but Axiom is very committed to this sort of inside-out approach to data. And I think it's uh, where we're headed. Um, we can't but, as humans, try to distinguish ourselves as, you know, remarkable and unique. Uh, we do that in our clothing um, and in how we present ourselves to the world. And I don't see why we all have to wear, you know, khakis and button-down shirts, <laughs> which is essentially the gapification of social media that Facebook's represented. Um, so I think that's going to continue, and it's about to really burst out. We might see new services uh, around that. I think the other thing that, that uh, is super interesting, and it's driven by all these buzzwords, machine learning and, you know, deep data and AI and all of that, um, uh, is uh, I think glass is back. And I, by that I mean Google Glass. Uh, um, you know, there's so much buzz about Oculus and a HoloLens and all these clunky shit that you put on your face that, you know, completely removes you from the world. Um, I expect that, you know, I wear glasses, they're very lightweight. Um, I expect that the ability to uh, broadcast data into the physical world and to share that with others um, is going to be the next to, to my mind, the next big platform. Um, and it's my deep hope that that platform will be open uh, and not a walled garden, which is essentially how it's being developed right now inside of almost every one of the major tech platforms. And I'll say one last thing that I think is uh, uh, related to all of this, which is that the top five companies in uh, tech uh, are now the top five companies in the United States by market cap. Um, they were all built with this you know, tech valley ethos of being the upstart, being, uh, you know, the uh, uh, 
the little mammal running around the dinosaur's feet. They are the dinosaurs. Um, and they are all walled gardens. Amazon, Facebook, Apple, Google, uh, and Microsoft. Uh, and they are all, to my mind, extremely vulnerable. Um, and that's not something most people will say because, you know, if you put $10,000 in those stocks 10 years ago, you're a millionaire now. Um, and uh, so people love success, success and they want it to continue. Um, I, I think that they're all vulnerable because they're so damn big. Um, they're all vulnerable to regulatory oversight as monopolies, which is happening in Europe right now. Um, and they're vulnerable to uh, competition who see markets that seem too small at the moment, but who are going to get very large. So that's exciting to think that we're at the beginning of another wave um, and that it's not necessarily so, even though it seems inevitable, it's not that these five companies are going to dominate for the next 20 years. Well, it's crazy to think, because you wrote a post on this, that yeah. these five companies, the big five, you track them in 11, and right. then 14, and then 17, right. $2 trillion, $2 trillion in, in market, market cap. cap. Yeah. So it does feel daunting, and you would have made it a does. lot of money to invest in them. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I, I do also like your point about what I would call augmented reality, right? Yeah. So, And it's the two-way version, as you're saying. People love the idea of being able to have glasses, your dashboard, or you know whatever it is, your yeah. um, windshield, to be able to see data coming in. Right. But I was at the U2 concert, you and I were talking about this the other day, yeah. and had to do, while we have these wonderful devices called phones, right. to continue to interrupt yours and other people around you's experience, yeah. when you could be streaming this yes. and say, yes. you know, do this live or whatever, yeah. it would be pretty powerful. And I think the business model is up for negotiation as well, and it's probably not a popular thing to say on a W2O podcast, but, but what the hell. Um, advertising has become the core, uh, you know, the blood running through the veins of the internet. Um, and you know, three companies really, Apple doesn't play here, uh, nor does Microsoft much, but Amazon is a huge advertising business. People don't recognize that, but it's massive and Google and Facebook, of course. Um, but uh, it's almost become a dark gravity in, in, in that it affects product development. Uh, it affects user experience. It affects, uh, you know, our entire uh, experience of, of technology now. And I think um, there is a building backlash to it. Uh, and, and as an advertising guy who's done a, you know, sold billions of ads over the last few decades, um, I think there needs to be other models. Um, it's one of the reasons that I'm here working at Medium is because they have a member-based uh, approach that they're starting to do. Um, and it's extremely exciting to think of it at scale, to imagine what happens when you can actually scale a platform-based approach to content that is not driven by advertising. Um, and perhaps at some point in which advertising is invited in, but in a different way. Um, and not to start with advertising as the model, but rather start with user choice and user payment as the model. Um, it's a little crazy, but uh, at scale, it's a pretty exciting uh, vision. Yeah, you'd be ex uh, surprised. We actually are more aligned with you than you might think. And Bob Pearson, who I know you've met, mm -hmm. who's our chief innovation officer, has put forward this book called Storytizing. And really the idea yeah. is creating great content stories and combining that with sometimes a paid model that might be paying with your eyeballs. It might be paying with subscription. Right. Um, you know, the way we do our events at South by Southwest where we actually have the sponsors and ourselves defer the costs. And then we invite the smart people to right. show up. So I'm a big believer. And I think in a fragmented world, we know we both have kids with, I think have 18 year old daughters, yep. you know, they're not, watching advertisement on TV or any place else. So how can you continue to provide this great content yeah. without necessarily having some of the, the noise that I think people don't love yeah. that wraps around it? 
I want to go back to, so speaking of Amazon, go back to our conversation. Um, last time we talked, when we did the interview, you talked about this book, and I loved the concept of yeah. If Then. Right. And I wanted to bring it up again, but I did check with you to make yeah. sure that it wasn't anything bad, but you said it's morphed, so I'd love to hear about like, where, where have you taken that? Well, I mean, I, so I had the, the original If Then concept was, was pretty simple. It seems simple now, because um, uh, I came up with it five years ago, and I was starting to work on it when we spoke three years ago. Um, but then I stopped, uh, and I stopped because I made the decision to give my full attention to Nuco for a few years. Um, in the time, uh, really now it's been five years, I think that the original idea has been already prosecuted by a number of good authors, including Kevin Kelly, who wrote a book um, uh, uh, called The Inevitable. Um, and in any case, uh, the idea was find the artifacts from the future, uh, that are in the present right now um, and describe them and why they're important. And, and these were things that five years ago seemed, you know, kind of new and fresh and sparkly. And now, you know, if you talk about drones or 3D printing or, you know, biological uh, chip processing, it doesn't seem particularly new. So uh, it has morphed. And, and, and where I'm thinking now, my focus is, is really on the role uh, overall of business in society. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, I spoke earlier about those five companies, and I think they're going through a very difficult phase internally, where they're realizing that with great, you know, power comes great responsibility. Uh, and I think all of the great companies of the world are going through this crisis. And you know, you look at uh, CPG, and and you look at what Unilever is doing, for example, and becoming a trust mark of sustainability and, and Paul Pullman having to fight off activist shareholders who are trying to squeeze more profit out of that company when he wants to take a long-term view, which has actually done the shareholders very well so far. Um, this idea of what's the purpose of a business and why are businesses, uh, you know, in business, is it just to make a profit or is it to do uh, some benefit to society along the way that is integral to the business model that question is becoming central in our in our culture right now in a way it really has never been and i think that there's a reason for that which is people don't trust government and so they want to trust a company as a way to solve society's problems and there's a whole wave of new entrepreneurs uh, in the valley and beyond who are starting companies that are really about trying to rethink very large social problems like healthcare or, um, you know, how, uh, you know, how to take care of, uh, an elderly population or, um, how to get someone their first home. Uh, and, and there've been such institutionalized approaches to that, that are driven by, uh, an old approach to capitalism, um, which is profit to shareholders first that rethinking that as a multi-stakeholder approach to business is an opportunity and i'm fascinated by that and i think there's a big story there where we are renegotiating our um, relationship to business our social contract if you will with business and so i'm interested in telling that story and i think that's probably the next book i haven't announced it yet or sold it <laughs> but it's percolating well, the thing that works well, I think, is this is what the Nuco Shift Forum was really about. This that first is exactly one, right? what the Shift Forum's about. And so I like to see it being manifested maybe in practicality to start with. Let's take a little step back, though, because I've known Nuco, I think, for, I don't know, three or four years. Mm -hmm. We posted some of the events. Yeah. You know, the original concept um, started, I think, a little bit as like a distributed 
event where people could contribute to it, but you were the organizing principal. Right. You've taken it to this new level and really had this unbelievable forum with people like Steph Curry and John right. Podesta and others. Right. Um, what what is the what does the festival look like? Let's spell it out for those listening that don't necessarily know. And then I'd love to dig into the shift forum sure. and just, you know, some sure, sure. went on there. So the festival, um, and I think, you know, all, whenever you start something, you look back a few years and you say, I, I should have done this or that. I almost feel like the festival should have been a 501c3 <laughs> um, because it's a really great idea and a great product. Uh, it's not, as far as I can tell, and it's perhaps my own failing, a great business. Now, on a local level, and there are 20 of them around the world now in cities around the world, on a local level, the local organizer, which in Austin is Capital Factory, um, they do it for reasons that have to do with, you know, they want to be a community leader, they want to convene, um, bring people together. It's good for their business for other reasons. Um, but it is a very um, taxing event from the point of view of both the organizer and the person going, because you don't go and sit in a ballroom for three days and have people present at you while you're doing your email or check an Instagram. Um, instead, you, the attendee, have to go out into the city and go into the headquarters of the companies you've chosen on your own schedule. It's like a music festival that way in that there's 10 stages, but the stages are neighborhoods, and in each of those neighborhoods, there's a company opening their doors and presenting. So you have to decide how to go around the city into those neighborhoods and which companies you're going to go see present during the day. There might be 100 companies opening their doors that day, but you can only go to five, so you have to really pick. That's a lot to ask of an attendee to look at that schedule, research the companies, pick a route, get around the city by themselves. You can't charge that person $2,000 when they're doing all that work. So you can charge them 50 bucks or 100 bucks or 200 bucks, uh, maybe 300 for a VIP, but it's not a high revenue business. And sponsors, of course, want to be in one room with everybody where they can run into everybody and collect leads and, and do the business they want to do for a sponsorship. And that model doesn't work very well. So uh, we've found partners around the world who do it for their own reasons. And it's expanding um, it, it sort of despite our efforts, you know, to because we had to rein back the amount of staff we could use uh, and, and afford to use to, to, to really defend the model. So it's almost entirely now um, affiliate based, franchised. Um, but we found great partners all around the world. So this past year, we added Shanghai, we added uh, Sydney, we added Toronto. Uh, we added Lisbon, um, and we're adding um, uh, Miami, um, Chicago, uh, Montreal, Vancouver, um, you know, all sorts of uh, Guadalajara. So it the, the keeps growing. But we finally found the model that works, which is let's work with partners, um, and we have a couple staff members that make sure that they understand how to spin it up, and we're here to help them and give advice and counsel. But the software stack is, is done, the app is done, so, you know, go go nuts and then we we pivoted to focus more on the shift forum uh and the media associated with the shift forum which is nuco shift the uh the publication which like i said was exceptional i had the pleasure of being there yeah. and the level of guests not just the people speaking on stage but people in, in attendance you know chris redlitz was one of them who yeah. helped bring you steph and Ryan right. leslie yeah, yeah. had an, an opportunity to sit down and interview him as well um i like to ask people speaking of this you know, who's influenced them over the, the course of their career. I'm going to ask you a slightly different question because mm -hmm. between all of your different lives, you've met some amazing people. Yeah. Can we talk about maybe two or three that, you know, you look back and say, holy 
yeah. crap. Like I had a chance to m- meet this person and maybe, you know, ideally they were as inspirational yeah, and, and interesting as you thought. I, but. Um, huh. When I was, it, it, look, I've been around a long time. Um, <laughs> I was reminded of that when I was asked to go to the 25th reunion of PC Forum, which is an event that used to happen in um, Scottsdale, Arizona in the late 80s um, and the early 90s. Uh, and uh, that event, you know, was really back in the day when the tech industry was just for geeks and weirdos and, um, and, and it just, you know, it was a tiny part of the GDP and, and not seen as, you know, obviously the dominant force it is now. Um, but the people in that industry at that time, even if they had taken their company public and they were huge rock stars in that small little pond, um, they would show up at these events and they would hang out the whole time. And I got a chance to hang out with them. So in the late eighties, I, I, I spent a fair amount of time with Bill Gates. Um, and you know, that just the idea of doing that now is like, I don't know how many layers of security you'd have to get through, you know. Um, I have not spent any time with him in, in quite some time. However, in the late 80s, he would just wander the halls of, of Agenda or PC Forum uh, and get into extreme arguments, public arguments, about the future of tech and what was right and what was wrong. And these arguments were... Um, you know, in good faith, there was never any bomb throwing or personal attacks. It was all about what was right. Um, and I, you know, I go to Ted still, uh, the conference, Ted conference. I'm going to Ted since 1992. And what I've noticed, for example, about Ted is that used to be at Ted that people would hiss, people would give a talk. And if people in the audience didn't like it, they would hiss and you could bomb at Ted. No one bombs a TED anymore because it's so highly produced, right? And it's all about the television, right? The, the video that's going to be out there on YouTube and the hundreds of millions of views that you might get. But back in the day, the, the, the arguments you would get in in the room and afterwards were so passionate. Um, uh, and, you know, probably the most influential person on, on my career was Louis Rossetto, who was the founder of Wired. And, and we introduced Wired at TED in 92. And... Um, I just, I miss the robust debate that used to be uh, at the center of this industry. And I think as this industry has gotten so much power, the debate has gotten so meaningful that we are failing to have it. Um, And that's actually the theme of the next shift forum is rational discourse, that it's time to get back to having these, these discussions, these arguments, these, these disagreements without being disagreeable. Um, and I think the tenor of our politics has gotten so disagreeable um, where half the country hates the other half of the country and doesn't want to hear them. But in fact, there, there are really big problems we need to solve and business is a big part of it. So that's, uh, that's kind of where I want to go with, with the future of Shift Forum. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, Bill Gates, that's a hard one to talk. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> at least I didn't say Steve Jobs. <laughs> Steve Jobs would have been also uh, cool, and you probably had a chance to meet him. I and, did, but yeah. uh, n- never really got into an argument with him. I'm sure I would have lost. Yeah. <laughs> and I do agree with you. I think we do. What I have seen is there are these private groups where you have folks that are thought leaders or some of the movers and shakers, and you know I think there is conversation there, but you're right that needs to be a way for that to get out more and yeah. for people to see it and yeah. not in a way where everyone feels like they can attack it because right. I know part of why I don't get into arguments is there are some people I will have the discussion with and as long as they're respectful and informed, that's great. If they're not, then it's like, I don't really want to have this conversation right. with you. Right. Anyway, right. 
Um, I also like to ask a question, and I know you talked about Kevin Kelly earlier about, yeah. you know, this is people who are listening in to build their library. Anyone that you're reading right now or have read, you know, last year or two that um, their book is spoken to you and you're, you know, intrigued with it or you'd like to share it with folks listening in? Wow. You know, it's funny with books. It feels a lot like what happened with Spotify has happened with books. What happened with Spotify is that you, I listen to more music than ever and I don't remember any of it. Um, and with Kindle, I read more books than I ever have and I forget them. Uh, it's it's a weird thing when I don't have the physical artifact I don't quite have the same I remember with the CD you take it out you rip it on we, we talked about this yeah. on our last interview by uh, the way and, and so funny. with you know what I found is that the books that I'm actually reading uh, in paper form are sticking with me more um, uh, and uh, there's a great rant of a book uh, that Robert Reich wrote uh, which is why he uh, ended up at the forum this year um, called Saving Capitalism that that really did affect me and then um, and this is probably a bit trite, but I've read both of uh, uh, Harari's books, um, *Sapiens* and *Homo Homo Du*, uh, and and both those books I think are sort of sweeping, you know, historical philosophy that um, uh, really put things into context. And he had a lot to say in his last book about uh, the role of humans with uh, uh, the advent of super AI um, that. I think it bears a, it would be good for all of us to think about those ideas. Um, you know, do we want super AI? Should it actually occur to treat us the way we treat lesser intelligent animals? <laughs> Hopefully not. Cause that, that would mean they would eat us, um, and, and kill us in ways that, you know, so actually his book has led me to, 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 to eat uh, almost no meat. <laughs> and I was like a big meat eater. And I know I'm talking to, you know, the, the holder of the Stubbs barbecue, uh, uh, at, uh, uh, at South by, but, um, you know, when a book does that, it has an effect on you. Right. And then there's one more, which is coming out in, uh, in a couple of months that Rob Reed wrote, um, called after on, which is a, a novel, uh, also about the emergence of super AI and, and synthetic biology that I think is, you know, it's a, it's a thought piece wrapped in a ripping good yarn, um, which I would highly recommend to folks. Well, thank you for sharing those. And, I do agree with you on the tactile, uh, you know, having that sort of tactile, you know, whether it's an album, CD, book or whatever, yeah. newspaper, I still long for those days. It's yeah. obviously much easier. You can do everything with your phone or your yeah. uh, tablet, but, um, you know, there was something to that. Uh, so speaking of music, and I do want to wrap up with this, one of the yeah. questions I'm asking all my guests, uh, and I have an idea of who maybe you might answer with, but I would love to hear it actually, is uh, you're stranded on a desert island. Yeah. You have one album. Ideally, it's not a greatest hits. Yeah, right. That you can listen to. And it's, you know, I've had some very interesting responses where um, it's not necessarily your favorite album. Because remember, like, sometimes hearing something too much. Yeah. You'd be like, this is a really hard question, Aaron, um, because you get sick of anything, right? Um, and so I, so I was thinking Wilco might be part well, of the Well, you know, if I was allowed to have a few albums Wilco maybe a couple of Wilco's albums would be in there uh, and the national would be in there too but I think if I had to pick one it would probably be uh, OK Computer by Radiohead because um, there's just a lot of shit going on <laughs> in that album um, and uh, and you can find a lot of stuff the more you go deep into it um, it's old now it's got it's 20, 20 years yeah. old um, came out after the bands and I remodeled my yeah. first apartment to the Benz. So the yeah. Benz is one of those. For yeah. Me. Well, I love the Benz too, but I think I'd go with okay computer. Um, just because you know, it, it, it was a moment in time, 1997, 
that was a year I left Wired and started the industry standard. And uh, it was, you know, to, when that album came out and it, I was already a huge radio fan, Radiohead fan, they kind of declared that the computer was at a pivot point and just by titling it that. And I, I was very proud. I felt like, yes, I'm part of that story in, in a small way. So um, that would be my pick. And I'm sure that as soon as we're done, I'll have a different one. <laughs> it's a great, you know, it's, it's really the thinking behind it. And I yeah. love that because uh, I hadn't thought of radio had the Beatles come up a lot. Right. Um, just because like the white album is one. Yeah. I do want to go for a bonus question though. And this is because of the fact that I saw this in your tweet stream as I was doing some research here. Mm -hmm. uh, we sadly lost a brilliant musician, at least uh, in my Chris mind, Cornell. Chris Cornell. Yeah. And uh, I'd love to get your take because he was Soundgarden and all the different projects that he belonged to. Right. Um, you know, really were touching to me. And I, I get yeah. the same sense that that was yeah, the case for you as well. Well, I mean, I came to his music very late. I mean, it wasn't that I was unaware of it. it it's just that it was when I um, started a band um, and I learned how to play drums. And I, you know, that um, uh, for whatever reason, the sound of our band and we started writing songs and it, it trended towards his music. And uh, so I became familiar with it like by playing it. Um, so when you say that, because he obviously he did solo, he did Audio yeah. Slave, yeah. Um, yeah, he did uh, Temple of the Dog, which pre predated Soundgarden. Even right. Soundgarden, there was quite a range. So which, yeah. where were you landing? Well, it was uh, the first one and the most important one uh, was Like a Stone, um, and and you know I th learned the drums on that, and um, we have a lead singer who can basically channel Chris Cornell. <laughs> and so he's got this set of lungs that's just unfair. Um, and uh, and so that was kind of how I got into his music. And um, uh, yeah, I just, I, I don't usually do a lot on Twitter outside of work stuff, but that one felt, uh, you know, like uh, what a loss, <laughs> what a waste. Especially um, since unlike Lane Staley and Kurt Cobain, who, you know, died in their early took their lives right. in the early 20s no, he was still blowing it out yeah i mean they were touring right yeah and, and uh, so who knows what was really going on in his head but um obviously to be that good you have to be a bit you know a bit twisted a bit dark <laughs> well and i think you could tell from their music he definitely was maybe yeah. a little less so than lane staley of allison chains and right. uh kurt cobain of nirvana but right he anyway, lasted longer. <laughs> he did last longer, 52. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, John, this has been a pleasure. Uh, Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O Group, host of the What to Know podcast. I've had the pleasure here sitting down at Medium with John Battelle, who is many things, investor, entrepreneur, co-founder, writer, um, currently the executive chairman of NUCO. Um, thank you, John. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. It has been an equal pleasure. Thank you. Want more episodes of the What to Know podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Check them out on iTunes, the podcast app, and the podcast page at w2ogroup.com backslash what to know.